Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois. And this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Christ is risen. Indeed, he is risen. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Toya, your host, and I say to you, Christ is risen for just this, actually this, this last time, at least for this season, because after you hear this radio program, we will be out of the 40-day period of the Paschal season. We'll still be in the later part of the Paschal season. That is the part that takes us to Pentecost Sunday. But right now, we're going to end the, sort of the meat of the Paschal season with a glorious feast day, the feast of the ascension of our Lord into heaven heaven. Big feast day in the Byzantine church, and so I greet you still with Christ is risen, but afterwards I will not. I'll go back to our normal normal greeting of our usual common greeting, glory to Jesus Christ, at which point, of course, you respond, glory to him forever. Very good. So you remembered. But right now, for these last few days, it's Christ is risen. Indeed, he is risen. The Eastern churches have kept this feast day of ascension at the 40-day mark, in other words, we celebrate it on Thursday, which is 40 days after the resurrection of Christ, because that, that number is significant in a lot of ways. First of all, it's, it's historical. And what you do during a feast day, and this is very big in the Eastern churches, back when I was growing up as a child, we had more feast days that were, if you want to use the word, obligatory. I remember going to church quite often during the week, you know, laying down my homework and going to church in the evening with my parents. As I got older, after the 1960s and into the 70s, I mean, the Eastern bishops kind of relaxed some of the obligations. It doesn't take away the feast day itself or the significance. They just change the obligatory aspect of it. And obligation is it's a bit of an awkward term, especially in the Eastern churches, because really we should feel obligated anyway to go to church for any kind of feast day, especially the more major ones. So the feast day of the Ascension of our Lord is a major feast day, and we've kept that at the 40-day mark. Because you see, there is something in the observance of these feast days wherein we interrupt inconvenience, quote-unquote, ourselves, and go to church for that feast day, especially for the, the really major ones, or if you want to use the term, obligatory ones. They're obligatory because they're major. And 
the fact that we have to interrupt our day and our life and our lifestyle, we have to schedule that in. We can't go to other things that we maybe would like to or had planned. These are not unfortunate interruptions. These should be high points of our week. We should look forward to that. And we would if we were to truly understand what the feast day is about, especially through the liturgy of the church. That's the that's the part of the value of liturgy. When we go to church, when we enter into the observance of a feast day, we enter into something, and, and think of the word enter into. Literally, you're entering into a building. So already the building is different. It's already going to be teaching you something. It's going to be, in a sense, transporting you into a different reality. And you're going to hear things that are different, say things that are different, do things that are different, things of a very different nature. You're going to enter into the reality of that event. Through the liturgy of the church, and you always have to remember this about liturgy, liturgy transcends time. Liturgy is the thing that enters us into that timelessness of the events of the scripture and of heaven. And you can only really do that through liturgy. This is why liturgy is so crucial. It's not just going to church. You know, I, I did that. I did, I did the church thing, put in my obligation, kind of get the punch card, get my hand stamped kind of thing. It, it's not that. It's an immersion into a timeless event that gives us a blueprint for life. It changes us. It transforms us. It should determine how we see things. And that's especially the case in this Feast of the Ascension of our Lord, because what happened then? Well, for 40 days, Jesus was with the apostles, 40 days after his resurrection. So he taught them many things, showed them many things. He was basically setting things up for his absence from earth, at least in the form that they knew him, as you know, somebody that walked around with them in that same body that he always had. His body would now become something else. It would now become present in the church. But the apostles didn't quite know this yet. It didn't happen yet. Christ was preparing them, and he was going to also send to them and upon all of us the Holy Spirit. And he said he couldn't do that until he first ascended back to heaven. So Jesus is with the apostles for 40 days, really having them experience the reality of his resurrected body, his resurrected person. And then he goes to the mountain, Mount of Olivet, or Mount Olives, we sometimes say in English. And before their very eyes, he ascends gloriously into heaven with a cloud and angels and so on. It's a magnificent icon, by the way, that depicts this. And he ascends before their very eyes. And in doing so, what the apostles are seeing is a couple of, couple of marvelous things. Something they saw during the Feast of the Transfiguration and also in the post-resurrectional experiences. As always, they're seeing something of the divinity of Christ, that he really is God. He's God because he's ascending back to his Father in heaven. He's ascending back to where he came from, heaven. He's God in heaven. But also, he's taking with him his human body. He didn't just become like a, a spirit. He went up in a cloud, but he didn't become a cloud. He didn't vaporize and become a pure spirit. He is spirit in that he's God, but he was also incarnate. He was also human. So what they're seeing is, once again, just as Peter, James, and John did, they had that privileged vision of the human person, the human body on Mount Tabor as Christ was transfigured there before them. They're seeing that once again. Only now all the apostles are seeing that. 
They're seeing human nature rising up and being taken to heaven. Imagine, Jesus didn't say, well, you know what? I'm going back to heaven now. You know, I'm God, I'm pure spirit, so I'm going to leave this body behind and kind of climb out of it. He took it with him, including the wounds. He went as a total being in two natures, divine and human, to heaven, which means, and this is just so wonderful, and why immersing ourselves in the liturgy is so important for us, so transformative. It means that God so loved, so revered the human creature that he created, that knowing that he become human, suffer and die and rise, but he takes human nature with him and mounts it on the very throne of heaven with him. Imagine there is human nature now higher than the angels because Jesus Christ ascended body and soul to heaven. In the liturgical prayers, we say this, the Lord is sending into heaven to send the comforter into the world. The heavens prepared his throne and clouds were his ladder. The angels marveled at the sight of a human being. Now get this, listen carefully, more exalted than themselves. Can you imagine that? The angels Today the Father receives again in his bosom the one who was in him from all eternity. And the Holy Spirit gives a command to all the angels, lift up your lintels, O you gates, O you nations of the earth, clap your hands, for Christ ascends to the place where he had been from all eternity. See, in that prayer, as is so often the case in our prayers of our liturgy, is the affirmation of everything, of Jesus who is God, and the fact that he was also human and he takes that human nature, and as it says here, exalts it higher than the angels. Can you imagine that? Here's another verse. O loving Jesus, while you lived on earth, you were God inseparable from the Father, and yet you truly shared our humanity. Ascending in glory today from the Mount of Olives, through your great love, you lifted up our fallen nature and enthroned it with the Father on high. Therefore, the bodiless powers were amazed and filled with awe at seeing your great love for all. Together with them, we who live on earth glorify your condescension to us and your ascension away from us. Now we implore you, saying, through your ascension, you have filled your apostles and your mother with a joy that surpasses every other joy. And through their intercession, make us worthy of the joy of your elect, for you are rich in mercy. So going to church, hearing and actually praying, having these words on our lips, and what I read to you actually was from the evening Vesper service, having these things on our lips and therefore on our heart is our way of entering into that ascension event. It's just like we were the apostles there at that first ascension event. And wow, wow, what an experience. Can you imagine seeing Jesus Christ, as it says in the liturgy here, on a ladder of clouds, ascending into heaven, body and soul. Now, they would have been fearful at first, and that's why Jesus prepared them for 40 days, because their great Savior was leaving. Imagine, here is the person that they saw defeat everything. You know, when he died on the cross, they were afraid, they were hiding, they thought all was lost. And then they see him resurrected in glory. He beat it all. He trumped them all. He is the God of all. Imagine being 
reassured in that way. Imagine apostles walking around with that kind of assurance. You talk about here's our superhero right among us, beyond even being a superhero. And now they see him going away. They're probably feeling like, oh, don't abandon us. What are we going to do now? Because we're not super like you. But yet he promised them. He gave them already the Holy Spirit, but he was going to promise them the Holy Spirit in its fullness. And that would happen on Pentecost. So they had something to look forward to. They weren't going to be abandoned. And neither are we. I'm Father Thomas Leia on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. New from EWTN Publishing, A Curious Catholic's Answers to Theological Questions by Father Ken Briganti and Father John Tugilio. Father John and Father Ken are hosts of EWTN's Web of Faith and draw upon their years of pastoral experience to complete a comprehensive list of the best questions ever asked of them, including how to go to confession and how not to, how to deal with family collapse bad words and unwanted thoughts, what is sinful and what is not, and answers to many more questions. Web of Faith, a curious Catholic's answers to theological questions available now at EWTNRC.com. Buy Catholic. Shop EWTNRC.com. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. It's no secret that Father Loya and other speakers from the Tabor Life Institute are available to speak at your parish or group on marriage and family topics seen through the lens of St. John Paul II's Theology of the Body. Other topics include Eastern Christian spirituality and the significance of art in the church. The Tabor Life Institute can arrange for marriage encounters, parish missions, and can help your parish facilitate teen faith formation in either English or Spanish. For Father Loya and other speakers, contact the Tabor Life Institute by writing to taborlife at earthlink.net. That's Tabor spelled T-A-B-O-R, life, at earthlink.net. Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host. And again, I say to you, Christ is risen. And soon we will say, Christ is ascended. And the response there is, in glory. See, we always have a greeting that marks the events of Jesus Christ. And that used to be very much of culture, actually. It used to be the ways of culture. In fact, if you think about it, words like goodbye, and we say that goodbye now it's all reduced down to see ya or bye. But if we trace it back, things like even goodbye, it's actually short for what was God be with ye. You know, God be with you. Think about it. Goodbye. Tear it apart. God be with ye. That's how we would greet somebody or as they were departing from us. God be with you. And hello 
is actually a variation of hallowed be his name. In other words, when you see somebody, you praise God. Isn't that wonderful? That in secular living, we even brought in the sacred in the way we greeted people. And we've lost that. We've distilled it down to these greetings, which really don't mean anything. I mean, what does hello mean? Okay, we know it's a greeting. We know that when and how we use it, but it doesn't really mean anything. What does hello mean? It's a greeting, but it has no meaning. Whereas how would be his name meant, wow, I'm glad to see you. We believe in God. Let's praise God first. The first thing you do when you see someone is you praise God. Isn't that wonderful? And then as they depart, the last word is, once again, invoking God. God be with ye. So anyway, greetings like this used to be so much of the fabric of our culture, and we've lost that. But now we have retained them an echo of that, a remnant of that in the church, especially Eastern churches with our various greetings. So it's Christ is risen, indeed is risen, and now we're going to move towards Christ is ascended in glory. Imagine when you greet each other like that, you make each other mindful of this mystery so that it's real. See, this is a problem today. If I may speak for a moment as a pastor, we have a big problem today in not allowing these events of Christ and what happens in the Bible, what happens at church, we have a problem not really allowing those things to be real to us. They become part of our vocabulary, our consciousness, and we encourage and share in that with others, especially with these greetings. Greeting each other in God's name is a way of helping each other to be God-conscious, to be filled with that awe of God, that, that constant awareness of God, and that's going to change how you behave. In other words, you're not going to be as secular in the way you look at everything. You're going to have a more of a what I always refer to as that sacramental liturgical worldview. You're going to see things more in terms of the liturgy, in terms of God, and what a difference that would make. And so these kinds of greetings are ways of immersing ourselves into the event, and that transforms us. But we are especially transformed and moved into the event with all its timelessness through the liturgy of the church. That's, that's part of the genius of the liturgy of the church. See, people understand when they don't go to church, they're missing something. They're staying outside of a transformative experience. It's like, you know, it reminds you of like the old TV show, Star Trek. Remember they would, it was that science fiction show, they would beam aboard places, they would beam places. Something would go, like their bodies would be transfigured. They'd stand under this thing that would change their body somehow and transport them somewhere in some almost mystical way. Well, that actually happens only in a real way, not a science fiction way, in the liturgy and most especially in the Eucharist. So we enter into this ascension of our Lord we enter into, therefore, the reality of not only witnessing his divinity, but the reality of the meaning and value of our humanity as Christ himself raises it to heaven. Let's look at another liturgical text. This is from the morning prayer, the Matins. In fact, this feast day is so significant that in the Matin service in the Byzantine church, we actually have two entire canons. We actually have an alternative canon. Now, a canon is sort of the meat of the matins. It's lengthy and full of rich dogmatic hymns, the canons, sort of the heart of the matins. Well, this feast day, as some of the really big ones do, has actually two canons, two sets of canons in the matins. And in one of those canons, we pray things like this. 
leaving earthly cares to the earth and that which is waste and refuse to the dust. Come, let us arise from sleep, and with our eyes and hearts, let us go towards higher things. Let us also lift up our thoughts and our attention from the earth to the gates of heaven, as if we were on the Mount of Olives, where we fix our eyes on the Redeemer as he is carried away to heaven. For it is there that the Lord departs for heaven. It is there also that he distributes his great gifts to the apostles, giving them strength and comforting them as a father, guiding them as sons and saying to them, I am not separating myself from you. I shall always be with you, and no one shall ever have power over you. So in departing from the apostles in this form, the form that they knew him in, he actually becomes more present to them because he will become more mystically present and he'll send the presence of God to them in the form of the Holy Spirit, which will actually go inside of them, actually penetrate their souls, their beings. They will receive the grace, the gift, the presence of the Holy Spirit as we do through baptism and chrismation. And that presence of the Spirit is enlivened in us when we receive Holy Communion. This is why those sacraments go together theologically, baptism, chrismation, and Eucharist. So as we see in the liturgical text, what's happening here is God is reassuring us of his presence, not just the apostles, but us too. Because remember, as the liturgical text pointed out, we are, we are there on the Mount of Olives with the apostles. We are there liturgically through the liturgy of the church. And we have to see this as a reality, and this is why we must come to church and enter into the ascension through the liturgy of the church. And as I mentioned earlier, this experience is supposed to be transformative. You know, we're going through all this pandemic trials and woes and so on, and it really is challenging us, but it's also asking us to step back and take a look, a long, loving look at the real, at what really is essential in life, what we're all about, what it's all about. And feast days like the Ascension and its liturgical richness help us to experience and to know what it's all about, that is life and God, our faith. It's about having the right view, not only of God, but of humanity. Let's face it, something had to sit us down, stop us. It's like it's like children fighting. You know, when the parent has enough, my brother was just recalling one day when he has eight children. He was recalling one of the times when a couple of the boys were fighting together and he just had sick of it. He just got sick of it and he just kind of, you know, got really angry and he slammed something down and he yelled at them and they, boy, they scattered. They knew that they were, they really had pushed dad to the limits. He said he wasn't happy that he did that, but it broke up their, their bad behavior, made them sit down and think. And, you know, pull back their horns a bit and think about something other than just themselves and their own misguided energy and intentions. Well, the same thing is happening to us now with this virus. And I'm not saying God sent it. Maybe he did. God could do whatever he wants, whether we like it or not. But he certainly is sending messages through it, loud and clear. It certainly is an opportunity for us that he's allowing for us to embrace as difficult and tragic as it can be at times. But he's allowing us to embrace this, to sit back and to, well, divest ourselves of all that was not essential and to try to rediscover and retrieve what is essential. Human relationships, our marriages, family, love, 
prayer, the scripture, church, the feast days, liturgy, peace, caring, fraternity, compassion. We were so divided and so distracted, as we say in our prayers, we pray that our divided thoughts will be brought together in, a, in an integration, in unison, singularly focused on God. We actually pray that in our prayers. How clever, how ingenious that the prayers of the church realize that in our hearts and our minds, we get so divided, so distracted that we need to bring ourselves back together again. And that's what the prayer of the church does. And that is especially what liturgy does. Liturgy brings us back to reality. The reality is not our day-to-day paying the bills and the drudgery and our jobs or losing our jobs and fighting with the kids and fighting with our spouse and trying to pay the bills that seem to be over our head and we're so much in debt and all this aggravation and fake news and fake this and that's irritating. That's not reality. Reality is things like the ascension of our Lord, because that's the reality of our being human, the reality of God, the reality of his love for us, and that he allows us to participate in that. And we do so on earth now through the liturgy of the church. Please take this feast day seriously, because it's serious business, and it's very timely, it's very relevant. We need these true visions of our nature as we struggle now in what is so much a part of the fallen side of our nature, sickness and death and the anxiety and the fears and the tensions and the worries. Let's lay that aside and enter into the mystery of what it really is to be human, gloriously human, and to the mystery of God's divinity and his compassion for us. Thanks for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit ByzantineCatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit ByzantineCatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. This is Dr. Greg Popchak. And Lisa Popchak. This is Chris Stefanik, host of Real Life Catholic. This is Archbishop Samuel Aquila from the Archdiocese of Denver. And thank you for listening to EWTN Radio. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh.